Welcome to the East Memorial Student Podcast, your source for the biblical teaching of East Memorial Student Ministries. I'm your host, Matthew Ronsky, pastor of Students and Discipleship at East Memorial Baptist Church in Prattville, Alabama. All right, so last week we began our series in the book of Jonah, and we started with an introduction to the book. And so we talked about the background of the prophet Jonah, who he was, where he was from. I introduced you to some important themes within the book of Jonah. We also saw an awesome uh, video of a dove getting hit uh, by traffic, uh, which, you know, it, it really is fitting for the person of Jonah because his name literally means dove. That's what his name means in Hebrew. Well, tonight, we're now going to dive into the text beginning with verse 1 of chapter 1, and we're going to start moving through verse by verse. So we are going to begin in Jonah 1, verse 1, and I'm going to read the first verse and then make some comments after this one. So Jonah 1, verse 1 says this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, all right, so I want to pause here because this phrase the word of the Lord came to so-and-so, came to Jonah, came to so-and-so. This, this opening statement is common in many of the Old Testament prophetic books. If you were to go to a lot of the minor prophets, which Jonah is included within, and, and even some of the major prophets, and that's referring to the length. So major, it's because they're longer, minor, because they're shorter in length. But at the beginning of many of the prophetic books, you have this phrase that the word of the Lord came to, appeared to, is essentially the meaning. Now, when we read it, it's common, it would be common to think that this maybe is like a voice that's coming into the the mind of the prophet, or a voice that he's hearing in his immediate surroundings. And and certainly it, it could be that, but often when it says that the word of the Lord came to one of these prophets... It is not just referring to a voice that the prophet heard. In fact, it is actually referring to a vision experience where God appears to the prophet in bodily form. To give you an example of this, I want to take you to Jeremiah 1, the beginning of the book of Jeremiah. This is one of the major prophets, one of the largest books of the Old Testament, So Jeremiah 1, and I'm going to start in verse 4, and it says this, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, so this is Jeremiah speaking, and he's saying that the word of the Lord came to him. Well, verses 5 on includes what the word of the Lord said to him, but then if you go down to verse 9, this is what's really interesting, is that there's been no change in the subject and who's being talked about. It's still the word of the Lord who's mentioned in verse 4. So there's no shift in subject. But then in verse 9, you have something interesting here where it says, then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. So in other words, drawing the connection here, this word of the Lord, according to Jeremiah, had a hand that he was able to extend and touch his mouth, symbolically putting his words in the mouth 
of Jeremiah. And what this indicates is that this word of the Lord is a, is a bodily appearance of God, of Yahweh. That's what the lower caps or small caps Lord refers to, or all caps Lord, it's, it's Yahweh in, in the Hebrew. And there's other passages we could go to. For example, if you were to go to Genesis, where uh, uh, Genesis, I think, 15 would be one example where the word of the Lord appears to Abraham. And it mentions that the word of the Lord took him outside to show him the stars of the heavens. Well, how does a voice, just a mere, a, a mere voice, take somebody outside? The implication is that the word of the Lord is a bodily appearance of God. Well, then the question comes, okay, well, then who is this word of the Lord? Well, now I want to take you to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, I'm going to read the, very, the first three verses of John chapter 1, so all the way in the New Testament. And here is how John begins his gospel. He says this, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So according to John here, the Word, the Word of the Lord, is none other than Jesus Christ. If you were to continue in John chapter 1, that is the Word. The Word is Jesus Christ who was God in His very essence and in His nature, but He was also with God the Father. He's not the same person as God the Father. He's a distinct person from God the Father, but He is equally God. And so this word of the Lord that we see all the way back in Jonah chapter 1, this is a pre-incarnate, meaning pre-incarnate is pre-the incarnation when Christ was born of the Virgin Mary. That's the incarnation. So it's a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is just one of many throughout the Old Testament. Of course, in our study on Daniel, we saw a few appearances of Jesus Christ there as well. So this word of the Lord is an appearance, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ, the second person of the divine Trinity. And really, it's Jesus who appeared to all of the prophets in the Old Testament, and sometimes he, would, he, he was called a different name. For example, one of, the, uh, one of the popular names to refer to the pre-incarnate appearance of Christ is the angel of Yahweh. That's how he's referred to when he appears to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3. But when he appears to prophets in the beginning of these prophetic books and he's commissioning them, he is called the word of the Lord. Now, why? Well, it's because in that context, in that function, he is commissioning a prophet to speak the very words of God. And so he carries the title in that context, the Word of the Lord, because he is the very Word of the Lord. He is giving the prophets his own Word to speak to whomever he is sending them to. So this is the Word of the Lord that came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. And as I mentioned, when he would appear, he would appear to commission the prophets for a certain task. And so let's continue in Jonah 1, starting in, well, I'll read, I'll read starting again in verse 1, but then we'll go through verse 2. So Jonah 1, starting in verse 1, says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, 
for their wickedness has come up before me. All right, we're going to pause here. So here we see the commission. We see the task, the mission that God is giving to Jonah. He says, arise and go to Nineveh. Now, for the next few minutes, we need to talk about Nineveh. What is Nineveh? Who is Nineveh? Nineveh is the capital or was the capital of the ancient Assyrian Empire. Assyrian with an A, Assyrian Empire. And I have a series of slides that, to show you. So the first one, nope, there's one for the Assyrian Empire. There we go. Okay. So that's one of their carvings. The Assyrian Empire, really, in this phase, it's called the Neo-Assyrian Empire because there was an older phase of the Assyrian Empire, and then there, you know, kind of fell away a little bit and then came back, starting in 911 BC, so a few decades after King Solomon, for, for reference, but 911 BC, and it went, the Neo-Assyrian Empire, to 609 BC. So Jonah is taking place right around the midpoint of the Assyrian Empire empire. Now, next slide shows you the territory that they conquered in different phases. So, by the, by the, in the height of their power, they had the lighter colored, kind of orange color. That was the extent of their territory. So, a good portion of the modern Middle East, mostly in what is today Iraq, but also covering uh, Syria, Lebanon, a lot, a lot of portions of Israel, uh, as time went on. And, and so that's the territory of the Assyrian Empire. Now, the city of Nineveh was their capital. It was the capital city. And there's another slide just to highlight the location. So here's a, right from Google Maps. Google Maps. And uh, the yellow is the nation of Israel. That's, that's the nation of Israel. And the red arrow is where the capital city of Nineveh was located right along the Tigris ri River. And uh, in modern days, it's the ruins of the city are right in the middle of Mosul, Iraq, is where, is where the ruins are today. And Nineveh, as I said, was the capital. And as God says, it is a great, or was, a great city. A great city. And it was. It was a, a massive city for its day. I have a slide that shows you the gate of one of the gates of the city. So this is one of the gates of the city in Iraq. Some of it was reconstructed, so not all of that is original stone. Reconstructed, unfortunately, ISIS, the terrorist organization, back in 2015, they went through and destroyed a lot of the ancient city and a lot of the artifacts of the Assyrian Empire. So. It probably wouldn't even look like that today. There would be some destruction, but, but that is a recreation of one of the gates of the city, just to give you an idea. And then the next slide is an artistic reconstruction of the city based on some of the archaeological digs and so forth that would take place. And there's some artistic liberty in this, but this gives you kind of an idea of the grandeur and the, and the magnificence of this city. It would have been a beautiful well-decorated, well-built city right along the Tigris River. And so it was a great city. In fact, later in Jonah, it says that it would take three days of walking to go through the entire city. 
three days of walking to get through all of the different portions of the city. So in, in, in the ancient context, it was a massive city. Now, there's another thing, though, that Jonah ver, chapter 1, verse 2 mentions, and that is that their wickedness has come up before the Lord. And the fact of the matter is the Assyrians were a very violent people. They were a very militant, aggressive people, aggressive empire, far more brutal than some of the other large empires that, that ruled in the ancient world. I do have a slide that depicts some of this according to their own carvings. So this is found on, on some of the palace walls of, of the Assyrians, the king's palace, and it's there. I mean, they, they not only carved it as a celebration, but then they wrote about it too, and it described in detail what, what they did to people that they conquered. And of course, on, on, the, on the right of the screen, um, you get the idea of what's going on there. And then on the left of the screen, uh, that's a depiction of them literally skinning people alive. And that's, that's what they would do. That's, that's what they would do. It was brutal. And so every type of death and execution and torture that they could inflict upon people, the Assyrians were notorious for doing this. In fact, it's so, they're so notorious for it from these carvings and their writings that, that even to this day, the Assyrians are viewed as a violent empire. And as we see, so not only from their own carvings, but even from the text of Jonah, the violence of the people has come up to the Lord. He's aware of it. He has seen it. He has heard it. And he is about to address it. So thinking of verse 2 of Jonah 1, I want to make two important observations from Jonah 1 verse 2. And we can clear that slide. So Jonah 1 verse 2, a few observations to make. We can put verse 2 back up on the screen. So the first observation is that the fact that God is aware of the brutality and the violence of the Assyrians demonstrates that Yahweh, the God of Israel, is actually the God of the entire world, not just of Israel, but of the entire world. He's aware of, of their wickedness, their violence, and he's, he's concerned about it. And that's what we see here. He's concerned about it, and he's concerned about stopping it as well. It has reached a point where he has had enough. He's had enough. But it demonstrates that he is the God of the entire world, and he is aware of and concerned about the evils that take place throughout the world. He is concerned. So that's the first observation. The second observation is that God wants Jonah to cry out against the city, and why? So that they would repent so that they would repent and turn away from their violence. And if you think about it for a moment, if God simply wanted to just destroy the city, if he just decided, you know what, enough is enough, I'm just going to destroy him, I'm just going to rain fire down from heaven, he would, if he wanted to do that, if that's, what he, if that's only what he wanted to do, then he would not send a prophet to them. He wouldn't bother with it. In fact, when God destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah back in Genesis, and he had decided at that point that he was going to destroy the city, he did not send a prophet to go throughout those cities and pronounce a message of judgment. 
All he did was send two angels in to take out Lot and his family, the only righteous people that were in the city. But he didn't send a prophet like Jonah to go through and pronounce, hey, you better turn from your ways or God's going to destroy. He just, I've decided, he told Abraham what he's going to do, and he did it. But here, God is sending Jonah to preach a message of judgment against the city. And of course, the hope, the reason, is so that the city would repent, turn from their evils, and perhaps be saved. That is, we see from this, a motivation for the Lord commissioning Jonah to this task. That is one of his motivations. So, again, we can even say it this way, by commissioning Jonah to go and preach against Nineveh, God is demonstrating both his justice and his mercy. He's demonstrating his justice in the sense that he's not going to allow Assyria to continue in their brutal and violent ways any longer. He was going to address it. But he's also showing mercy because God is giving them an opportunity to repent, and he's giving them the opportunity by sending Jonah and preaching a message of, of judgment. So you see both his justice and his mercy working hand in hand. So this is the commissioning of Jonah. Let's now look at the response of Jonah to this commissioning. So I'm going to begin again in verse 1, start reading in verse 1, but now we're going to go through verse 3. We're going to go through verse 3. So it says this, starting in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. But then here's Jonah's response. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down in it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So there's at least three things from verse 3 that I want to highlight, that I want to point out to you at this moment. The first thing I want to point out in verse 3 is you see this, this contrast here, but we're only between verse 2 and verse 3, and that is that God tells Jonah, the word of the Lord tells Jonah, arise. So it gets the indication that Jonah perhaps was sitting or lying down or he was just kind of hanging out wherever he was, and, and, and the word of the Lord is coming to him and saying, okay, I want you to get up and go. Well, then in verse 3, Jonah gets up, he rises up, but he rises and goes in the complete opposite direction. In fact, I just posted a meme today on, on the Instagram stories. So that is actually how, I mean, it's, it's funny because it's a meme, but even in the, in the language of, of Jonah here, that is actually how it's being depicted, where God is appearing to him, standing before Jonah, saying, arise and go, and Jonah is getting up, and then he's taken off, like right at the moment. And that's indicated because it, isn't, it doesn't say that he arose and then went and thought about it, or that he sat there for a few moments and was like, eh, I don't know. No, he, he got up. The very next thing he does is he gets up and he runs in the opposite direction. So that meme that I, I shared is actually fairly accurate to, to how this went down 
all the way back in, in this time. So that's the first thing. You see this, this, this contrast between God's command to arise and go and then Jonah's response to arise and flee. All right, here's the second observation to point out. It says that Jonah rose to flee from the presence of the Lord. And in the Hebrew, it literally means from the face of the Lord. And so that's just further indication and further proof that God, namely Jesus, had appeared to Jonah in a vision, in a bodily form, in a vision. Jonah would have been able to see him. He was standing in front of him as if face to face, and then he runs and he flees from his presence. All right, now the third thing I want to highlight is it says that Jonah fled to a place called Tarshish, which is kind of a tongue twister a little bit. Got two, two SHs, SH sounds in there. But it was a real place in the ancient world. And I do have a slide that will show you a map of where Tarshish was located. Okay, so it zoomed out quite a bit, but the place where the arrows are coming from, that's the land of Israel. And at the end, right at the tip of the blue arrow is where Nineveh is located. The black arrow is where Tarshish was located in the modern, well, equivalent to the modern country of Spain and Portugal, kind of that, that, that area on that peninsula. And so as you see, Tarshish, I mean, it's at the very end of the known world, on the western end of the known world at that time. It is as far away from Nineveh as you could go in a western direction before you're in the, the Atlantic and, uh, and there's nowhere else to go. And it's also kind of on the same latitude as well. I mean, it's, it's similar. It's just completely opposite direction. And so the blue arrow is where Jonah should have been going. He should have gone up around the Fertile Crescent into Nineveh, but instead he goes down to a port city of Joppa, boards a ship that is heading towards the red arrow, the complete opposite direction. Now, with this in mind, there's a question that, that comes up, and that is this. Why did Jonah immediately flee from the presence of the Lord, and why does he attempt to go as far away as possible from the city of Nineveh? Well, think about this question. I think there's a few responses that we could give, and the first is this. Well, one, Jonah is going to provide a reason that he fled. He actually provides his thinking or gives his thinking in towards the end of the book in chapter 4. But for now, I can say this, that Jonah certainly knows that he is being sent to warn the Assyrians about God's impending judgment. He certainly knows that, and he would know that by warning them, he's giving them a chance to repent and to turn away from their violence, thereby saving themselves. So he knows this. He knows that this is what he's being commissioned to do. This is the mission that he's being sent on. And, and if you think about it for a moment, Jonah knew about the Assyrians. Everybody knew about the Assyrians at that time. They knew about their brutality, their violence. They were not beloved people. If you were not an Assyrian, you hated the Assyrians. They were not so unlike the terrorist organization ISIS. That is how, how violent they were. So Jonah is no fan of the Assyrians. He is not a fan of the Assyrians. He wants nothing to do 
with the Assyrians, and they weren't just, it wasn't just that Jonah hated them or disliked them for their violence and brutality, but they were also a threat to Jonah's home kingdom. And that is, of course, the northern kingdom of Israel. Assyria was a major threat to the northern kingdom of Israel. In fact, eventually, several decades after Jonah, about 40 to 50 years after the time of Jonah, the Assyrian empire would eventually be the ones who would destroy the northern kingdom of Israel and exile all of its surviving inhabitants away from the land of Israel. That's the northern kingdom of Israel. So the Assyrians were, they were public enemy number one. They were Israel's number one enemy at that time. And so that would be another thing that would have been in Jonah's mind. And not only do I not like these people, but they're threatening my home, my home turf. They are my enemy. Why do I want to go to them? Well, this relates to another point, and that is this, that as an Israelite, Jonah was partial to his country. It means he had favoritism towards his country. Naturally so, most people do. Most people have some sort of, of patriotism or, or preference for their, for their home, for their country, right? Even, even at a state level, right? Here in the United States, right? Most, most people are from Alabama. They, they like Alabama, right? They probably roll tide, okay? So, so Jonah, he would have he been partial to his home country as well, to his home territory, and it's very likely that he had no interest in ministering outside of his country. Remember in our introduction last week, Jonah had already been a prophet up to this point, and life was good in Israel at that time. In the northern kingdom, life was good. It was, it was probably the strongest point in that kingdom's history, and it was prosperous. And Jonah, if you remember from last week, he had delivered a message of good fortune to the northern kingdom. He was a prophet of good news to the northern kingdom. He predicted by the word of God their eventual prosperity and strengthening in power. And so Jonah was a local celebrity. He would have most likely been a local celebrity for bringing the, the good prophecy to his native kingdom. So he was living in a prosperous country when it was a, a fairly good time in terms of prosperity, he would have been a local celebrity where he was at. He would have been comfortable. He would have been comfortable. And so it's, it's fair to assume that Jonah had no interest, no, no interest at all in, in leaving his country and going all the way to the city of, of Nineveh. No interest. In fact, as the book will continue... Jonah is going to demonstrate through his actions that he could care less what happens to the Assyrians or any Gentiles who were not Israelites. He could care less. He was indifferent. And if you think about it for a moment, you know, if we, if we try to put ourselves in the mind of Jonah or somebody like Jonah, somebody like Jonah could easily think, well, man, these Gentiles, I mean, if they really cared about God and were seeking after God, well, they can just come to Israel then. Let them come here and let them seek God here. Why, why do I need to go to them? Why would I want to go to them? If they care, they'll come here. They'll, they'll adopt his religion. They'll live according, you know, they'll, they'll give sacrifices to him. Why do we need to go to them? Why would Jonah help draw Gentiles to God 
who are not really seeking after God in the first place. This is, this is possibly the line of thinking that could come into somebody's mind like, like Jonah. This is a very possible line of thinking. However, here's the thing that is important. Regardless of what Jonah was thinking, we know that he did not want to minister to the Assyrians, and he gives his, his reasoning in Jonah 4, ch- chapter 4, that goes along the lines of that. But whatever he may have been thinking, if he thought that he was taking control of the situation by running away, he was sadly mistaken. That is not the reality. He may have thought that he was escaping God's plan, that he was that he was avoiding being used by God. But in fact, as we're going to find out, this was all going exactly according to plan. In fact, God is behind this. I want to take you to a passage we covered last week, and that is in Hosea chapter 7. Hosea chapter 7. We read this passage last week, and it is in verses 10 to 11 that I want to read to you. And Hosea is after Daniel. Might be right after Daniel. Yep, right after Daniel. So Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, and then Joel, Amos. Hosea chapter 7, verses 10 to 12. It says this, Though the pride of Israel testifies against him, yet they have not returned to the Lord their God nor have they sought him for all this. So Ephraim, and remember Ephraim is a a term that refers to the northern kingdom of Israel. says, so Ephraim has become like a silly dove. And in the Hebrew, that, that word dove is Jonah, is Jonah. Ephraim, all of northern Israel has become like a silly Jonah. It's literally what it would say in the Hebrew, without sense. They call to Egypt, they go to Assyria. Now, in this context, it's saying that they go to these countries for help against their enemies. They don't trust in the Lord. They, they go to other countries, other kingdoms, instead of trusting in the Lord and put, putting their, their, their fate in the hands of the Lord. But then God says this in verse 12 of Hosea 7. He says, when they go, I will spread my net over them and I will bring them down like the birds of the sky. I will, chastise, I will chastise them in accordance with the proclamation to their assembly. So the northern kingdom has become like a silly Jonah, a silly dove. And as God says in verse 12, that he is going to bring them down like the birds of the sky. He's going to bring them down. Well, there's an interesting thing in Jonah 1 verse 3. If you notice, it said, you know, God will bring them down. Well, if you go back to Jonah 1 verse 3, there's an interesting observation here, and that is this. I'm going to read the verse to you and and highlight what I want you to see. So it says that Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And then it says, so he went down to Joppa, because where he was in the northern kingdom, it would have been very hilly. It's higher in elevation than where Joppa is on the coast of Israel. So he has to go down geographically to get to the port city of Joppa. And then he finds a ship. He found a ship which was going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down 
into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So you see this pattern where he's going from his home in the hill country of northern Israel down to Joppa. Then he pays a ticket to get on a boat and goes down into the boat, into the ship. And then as it continues, as, as we will continue, he's going to go further down. He's going to go from being down in the boat to being down in the sea. And then he's going to go even further from being down in the sea to down into the belly of a great fish. He is going to be going down. And I would argue that it is the Lord. The reality is that it is the Lord who is the one bringing Jonah down. The Lord is behind all of it. You see, God was not surprised by Jonah's response. In fact, God was planning on Jonah's response. He was planning on Jonah to run away and to board a boat going to Tarshish. And as we're going to see next week, God is going to use this. God is going to use Jonah's indifference. He's going to use Jonah's running away to accomplish the goal that God has had from the beginning, to reveal himself to Gentiles who were not seeking him to begin with, but who God is going to seek and reveal himself to. Jonah may have thought that he was escaping from God, that he was escaping from being used by God to bring the knowledge of God to Gentiles, but as we're going to see, he is actually fulfilling God's plan. And he's going to fulfill God's plan on the ship that's going to Tarshish, and God is even going to use the miracle of Jonah being in the belly of the fish to accomplish his plan with the Ninevites as well. So that's not until next week, though. Next week, we're going to see all of this. So we, we've come to our end. We're going to close in a word of prayer and then start our, our evening. Let's pray. Lord God, we want to come to you in prayer and, and praise you, one, for being a God of, of loving kindness, a, a God of compassion and, and mercy, as the psalm said that we read this, mor- this, this evening, the beginning of the service. And we do want to praise you, Lord, because you are a kind and gracious God. You don't let evil go unnoticed, and you don't let e- evil go unpunished, Lord. Eventually, at some point, you will punish all evil in this world. If not today, possibly tomorrow, but certainly in the near future, Lord, you are going to punish all evil and wickedness. But Lord, you are also merciful and you give people the opportunity to turn to you, to repent of their sins. And, and we're going to see that as we continue in this book of Jonah that you have, have given to us and all of your people for these thousands of years. So Lord, uh, we thank you for the opportunity to study this book and to be here this evening. I pray for these students that, uh, that you just be with them, that you keep them safe the remainder of the summer that you would help them grow in their knowledge of you and in their faith in you. And Lord, that that you just continue to bless this youth group and this church. We pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the East Memorial Student Podcast. For more information and updates about East Memorial Student Ministries, please visit our website at eastmemorial.org. You can also follow us on our Instagram page titled EMBC Student. 